Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. I'm pleased to welcome back Mary Drunoski, Beef Systems Specialist with University of Nebraska Extension for part two of our discussion on grazing beef cattle on cover crops. Welcome back to the podcast, Mary. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. All right. So for maybe those folks who missed out on part one, um, give us a little overview um, about you and your research related to uh, grazing cover crops and beef cattle. Well, sure. So uh, as you said, I'm a, a beef systems specialist at the University of Nebraska, and my expertise is actually ruminant nutrition, but I spend pretty much all my time working on integrated crop and cattle systems, uh, which means I really focus on the use of cover crops and corn residue as a source of a feed for cattle, but I do it in a multidisciplinary group. So I work with an agronomist and an economist. And so we look at the whole system and um, it's actually quite enlightening. I've learned a lot over the past uh, six years uh, about cropland and soil health and, uh, and how actually uh, really how the soil works is very similar to how the rumen works. It's all about nitrogen and carbon balances and the microbes mediating everything that happens, which is pretty neat. Very cool. So let's go ahead and, and jump right back into our, our discussion on grazing beef cattle on cover crops. So can grazing only be done in the fall or can cattlemen also take advantage of spring grazing too? Yeah, so uh, fall grazing is probably the easiest uh, when it comes to a cover crop standpoint because it's it's not backing up against somebody wanting to get in and, and uh, plant, for instance, which is really the challenge with spring grazing, in my opinion, is that uh, if it's a cover crop system and you're trying to work it in uh, with your normal cash crops, spring grazing becomes um, a bit of a challenge just from the timing standpoint. However, uh, there is... A good opportunity uh, for spring grazing using those winter hardy species like cereal rye, winter triticale, winter wheat, planting them in the fall, we can get some really good uh, high quality forage in the spring. And the benefit is that over the winter, you can also have um, something that has some ground cover, has some roots in the ground. And so for me, I think that it's a huge benefit uh, from the soil standpoint, but also uh, from uh, the cattle standpoint. In fact, one of the most enlightening things I, I ever saw was I went into a field that had been planted after soybeans and it was cereal rye. In March, uh, we went and we took 
some soil probes down to, to three feet. And we could find on three inch tall rye, we could find roots that were down to 30 inches, which is, I mean, just amazing. Wow. So, yeah. So what's, what's above the ground doesn't always tell you what's happening below the ground, which uh, that was pretty interesting. But of course, as a ruminant nutritionist, I'm most interested in what's above the ground. And we have to wait probably for us in Nebraska. We're a little bit slower than, you know, parts south. And we don't really get enough growth going usually until um, early April at the earliest. But we can start grazing in early April. And we often have producers who graze until mid-May. And then they usually terminate, not because the plants are ready to um, to die. For, it's just because they're ready to get another crop in. Um, but in that time frame, it doesn't seem like a lot, right? It's, it's 45 days at most. Uh, but it fills a gap uh, for many producers uh, because we often have, especially for our spring calving cows, that may be the time that those cows are calving. Uh, so they have a higher uh, energy and protein requirement. It also coincides with that calving, which means that getting them out onto uh, a big field, a clean field, one that hasn't had cattle on it in a year, for instance, can have huge uh, health benefits. And so I think that uh, spring grazing actually works quite well uh, in most situations. We do have some challenges if you get, for instance, a, a big rainfall uh, that you can trample in a lot of um, that above ground biomass, but I have been amazed at how well um, those winter hardy grasses will recover. And so if you're able to do a rotation, you can really reap benefits for multiple reasons in that spring. So one of which is if you happen to trample, uh, get a little bit muddy um, and you move on to the next part of the field, a lot of times we see those plants come back, even though you think oh, there's no way <laughs> that they're going to do it. Um, so I like spring grazing. We get really great performance on growing calves, and it really fits well for those lactating cows. Okay, great. So let's kind of shift gears and talk a little bit. What are some of the financial benefits that growers and cattle producers will see when they integrate cattle into a cover cropping system? Well, of course, it, it depends a bit on your perspective, right? If you're, if you're the farmer who's going to lease, say, the cover crop uh, to a cattleman, then from, from that perspective, often uh, the benefits really come down to, I can pay for this cover crop and the sole health benefits that I get from it, and I can get a little extra income. If you're the cattleman the, and you don't have that cropland, then likely the benefit is often we can get a lower cost feed resource that meets the needs of the animal um, than you could from an alternative feed. So it's kind of a win-win well, when it's priced appropriately. If you are uh, truly integrated, um, then there's a couple things that are benefits. Well, we just talked about the benefits to both enterprises but it, as an integrated producer, it lends flexibility to your operation. For instance, a lot of producers that I work with that use cover crops are integrated. So they own both cattle and cropland. And that gives them a little bit more flexibility to do things like maybe do a double crop of forage in, in a particular year on a particular piece of land, which may have even 
more benefits from the standpoint of uh, soil health and and building flexibility into the rotation and weathering some market um, risk, so to speak, because they have income sources from multiple streams. So for me, uh, it really kind of depends on your point of view, but it can be a win-win uh, from all sides. It, it does come down to having a, a true understanding of the risk for each individual and trying to come to a consensus on how much risk each is going to take. Okay. This might get back to a little bit of about the soil health aspects of cover crops and how they relate to then the grazing side of things, but does how the cover crop is seeded, does that influence the ability for that cover crop to be grazed? Yeah. So, you know, my first thought when you asked that question was really about, you know, do you drill it? Uh, do you aerial seed it? Do you um, interseed using some sort of uh, system that uh, just goes above the canopy? And I will tell you that the biggest difference I see between what is drilled and what is um, broadcast seeded in some way, shape or form is that if we're grazing and it's been broadcast seeded, a lot of times we don't have as uh, good of um, really root substance uh, that the cattle can pull it out a little bit more if it's been broadcast seeded. So you may not be able to get as much regrazing out of it as when it's drilled. Uh, but the other big one for me is really just about biomass and how much biomass you can get. And while drilling sometimes means that you're delaying planting and that can decrease biomass, oftentimes broadcast seeding is a little bit more tricky in terms of getting it at the right timing to actually get those plants to establish. That's actually a, an avenue of research that a lot of people are working on right now because everybody wants to get those cover crops in earlier. Uh, because they want those soil health benefits. And then on the flip side, you're going to get more biomass, which is uh, great for the cattle standpoint. But right now, uh, we don't have uh, the magic recipe, I would say, to ensure that you are going to get um, a good stand consistently. Like if I want to interseed into corn or even soybeans uh, by aerial seeding or, or broadcast seeding. So it does have a huge effect on how much risk it is in terms of establishment. And that means how much mm -hmm. grazing you may or may not get out of it. Sure, sure. And that that's the whole point of doing it, right? Is to get as much grazing as you can. Um, so yeah, that would, that would make a difference. So we kind of talked a little bit earlier about spring grazing and how that can be an option depending on your timing. So what are your thoughts on cattlemen taking advantage of using a pasture of cover crops, maybe to calve out uh, mama cows on in the spring? Well, I'm a huge fan of it um, from the standpoint of high quality feed, um, kind of a clean place for those cattle to be um, and those calves to be. However, there are always downsides to every um, every decision that you make. And, and one with the calving out on, on cover crops in particular, you know, calving out on these winter hardy species is that you have really good quality feed, 
And if if you are kind of going up until that May time period, a lot of times, you know, they just get done with calving and and then it's time to move off of that because they're going to put another crop on. And unfortunately, what we do see sometimes is that the next feed source that those cattle go to may not be as high quality. And that's the time when they're actually going to be breeding. And so we have some metabolic things that happen when the cattle perceive that their plant of nutrition is declining instead of increasing. So it's not actually the cover crop that has a negative impact on breeding. And in fact, if you stayed on the cover crop, you would have better success than moving to, say, uh, another forage resource, which honestly, in that time frame, is still typically going to be hay or maybe some um, supplemental corn silage. Um, so what I would caution people about if they're going to cab out on cover crops is just to really pay attention to the next feed and make sure that they are providing a high plant of nutrition. So if you're going to use hay, you're probably going to have to supplement um, with some either really high quality um, forage uh, or you're going to need to supplement with actually providing some type of supplement like distillers grains in Nebraska is pretty common. Um, some corn, uh, if you have a high protein hay source, uh, corn could do it for you. So uh, some growers that I've talked to who graze their cattle claim that they're seeing improved calf health and immunity later in life simply by the the calf getting that start by being calved out on a cover crop field. Can you talk about, is, is there really any merit to this claim or is it kind of just a anecdotal uh, evidence that we're seeing? Well, you know, as a, as a scientist, my, my first thought is I, I don't know the answer because I don't have data, right? Um, but the only hypothesis I can come up with why they might be observing what they think they're observing is that, as I mentioned, those calves are being uh, born and, and are exposed early uh, to probably a cleaner environment because it has actual ground cover. They're not being exposed to as much mud. Um, likely they're dispersed more than um, in some of our other calving systems where even in kind of our traditional uh, beef production system, a lot of times we'll bring those cows into um, a close-up pasture, for instance, and it might be a little bit smaller um, than we would desire. And so they may have more close contact with each other. There may be a little bit more mud and those types of things. Um, so having that environment when they're born and it being, for instance, them not being exposed to mud, the mom's udder being clean, um, when they nurse and when they're first born, remember their gut actually is very permanent. And that's because we have to get um, those, right. those antibodies in through the colostrum. Well, anything they consume yep. during that time can get in. And so a lot of times we sure. talk about uh, this idea of, you know, the cleaner, the better. Well, that's, that's why. So if mom's udder is nice and clean because she's out on uh, actively growing forage that's not mudded in, and then um, that calf is born into uh, ground that has cover on it, there may be some benefits uh, from the immunity standpoint just because they haven't been exposed to as much uh, pathogens before that gut is closed. It, 
do I have evidence that makes that's sense. true? I don't. So that's that's a theory. Okay. We should test it, but I I don't have any data one way or the other. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But that that makes a lot of sense. Um, that during that vulnerable time, um, getting exposed to pathogens would certainly influence immunity. Absolutely. Yeah, I have one other. So, um, in oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, my I have one other theory, and that is right now we've been doing uh, a little bit of research on vitamin A, which is extremely important to cap health and immunity. And of course, uh, most of our our cows are are uh, spring calving, which means that they're calving after being in the winter on some type of stored forage, which is most typical. Um, stored forages have low vitamin A, and so they're really dependent uh, quite a bit on either supplemental vitamin A, which don't think we actually provide enough of, or they use their stores. So the cows have vitamin A in their liver. So they may be at their lowest vitamin A point uh, when they calf, and the colostrum is the main source of vitamin A for that calf. So if the cow doesn't have a lot put in the colostrum, then the calf doesn't get a lot. Green forage is a great source of vitamin A, so we may be even seeing a boost in colostrum vitamin uh, A. Okay. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. And now back to the podcast. What uh, resources are out there to help connect maybe growers with cattle producers who are looking to graze cover crop ground, you know, and, and maybe the grower doesn't own his own livestock, but he's trying to find someone uh, in the neighborhood who might be interested in grazing. Sure. So there's two I can actually think of. Um, the first one is one that uh, my team put together in 2017 is called the Crop Residue Exchange. And so it's cropresidueexchange.unl.edu. And that really can allow a farmer to go in and basically they can, they can detail uh, what field that they have available. So they can actually outline it in like Google Maps. And then they can tell um, what details uh, that they, they want to. So for instance, if it's a cover crop that they have, they can say, we have, I have this cover crop. I'm willing to allow it to be grazed from this time to this time. Um, here's what I'm looking for in terms of prices, and here's my contact information. Um, that one really uh, is only available for Nebraska and basically the states that surround Nebraska. There's another one that has been recently developed by the Practical Farmers of Iowa, and it has a little bit uh, wider range to it. Midwest Grazing Exchange, that's what it's called. So the two, the two options that I'm most familiar with is... Um, the crop residue exchange that the University of Nebraska has, which can be used for things other than crop residues like cover crops. Um, and the 
and the farmer can, of course, uh, put in the field so a producer could see how close they are and whether or not they'd be willing, you know, to haul cattle to it, for instance. And then they can, of course, detail out, um, you know, what the crop is, um, how much they're looking for, any restrictions on grazing dates, those types of things. The other one is um, the uh, Midwest Grazing Exchange, which is uh, a part of um, Practical Farmers of Iowa. And they have a little bit larger area that um, it covers in terms of being able to uh, find people around you who may be looking um, for some grazing. And of course, that can be residue, that can be cover crops, or that can even be pasture land. Um, the benefits of those in my mind is being able to kind of identify local resources, but of course there's all kinds sure. of ways people do it, right? Uh, well, definitely. So uh, what might be some creative ideas for farmers who are maybe they have a cover crop field, but they don't have fencing or water access in those fields. What are some uh, solutions to overcome that obstacle? Well, fencing is easy. I mean, nowadays, uh, fencing is, is very easy. I will say that um, if I'm fencing a field, which we do a lot of temporary fences in crop fields um, because most fields don't have fences anymore, right? Uh, you know, a single strand of hot wire, uh, so galvanized wire, can work really, really well as long as it's hot. <laughs> and the cattle are used to uh, hot wire. And so making sure the cattle are trained um, to an electric fence before turning them out is extremely important. We do calves, um, you know, growing calves with single strand all the time. If we're near a, um, a highway, then sometimes, especially with growing calves or calves that aren't as well trained or I'm a little bit worried about, we will actually put up um, two fences. And so we'll put up uh, a single strand fence and then we'll come in and put a, another strand below it and we'll actually have two fencers on it so that there's hopefully always one uh, strand that is hot with the idea that it reduces likelihood of, you know, uh, an animal getting out because uh, the fencer is no longer hot. And that um, honestly has worked really well for us so far. <laughs> in terms of fencers, there are of course solar powered fencers and um, they have a, a little bit of a, a disadvantage in the winter because of course daylight is a little bit shorter. And then if you get snow cover, um, you know, they can become de-energized just because that solar panel isn't collecting um, the sun anymore. So you got to make sure you keep it cleaned off. Um, there are other options like just using a battery and changing out the battery. Um, we actually often use solar fencers, but we have to be very diligent about checking them um, every couple of days to make sure that they stay hot. So in terms of temporary fences, it doesn't have to be anything really fancy. We use T-posts on the corners and um, just uh, basically, we use metal rods uh, for the uh, straight line uh, in between the corners. And that really works great. I don't like to use poly wire uh, in the winter because anytime you get snow or ice, it does sag. 
And if that's the only fence you have for the perimeter, um, that's a little bit dangerous that the cattle may get out. Um, so for interior fencing, if you're strip grazing or something, that's fine. If they happen to get through the wire, it's not that big of a deal. Water is hard. Water is probably the hardest one. And I will tell you, we haul a lot of water uh, to cattle out on cropland. And that can get expensive, especially if you don't have um, the ability to get to uh, a source of water that's fairly high flow um, so that you can fill up, say, a water truck very quickly <laughs> because it takes a lot of time and effort um, to fill up that water truck and then go down the road and, and dump that water out into um, a water. So I will say that there's not a lot of really creative sources if there's no water around other than hauling water. But I will tell you, especially in areas where there's irrigation, there's usually ways to make use of that pump or make use of that well, even if, say, you have on an irrigation well a diesel pump. Um, those are really hard to turn off and on in the winter. So a lot of people will take um, an electric pump and, and run it down like a solar pump and run it down into the well that they use for irrigation during the other times of the year and use that to pump water. Uh, for cattle. So that works really well. You can do the same thing um, if you do happen to have a fairly good uh, flowing source of water that's somewhere near um, that field and you can pump it um, from there. In that, in that case, you still probably have to turn it on, turn it off and drain lines. So that's why I think a lot of people end up hauling water. That's probably the most restrictive part of being able to graze in the winter is whether or not you can get access to water. So last but not least, when a, a grower and a cattleman are putting together an, a crop grazing agreement, what are some of those details that they really need to make sure are hashed out in advance so they don't sneak up on them later? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I would say that's probably one of the most important things they can do is actually sit down and develop a, a rental agreement. And so the first thing I think they need to think about um, is, is really how are they going to uh, kind of set up uh, the payment system, right? So are they gonna pay on uh, price, the farmer's gonna price it on a per acre basis and the cattleman is just going to pay for uh, access to so many acres of cover crop. I'll tell you, this one's probably the most simple and what a lot of people do. Um, however, there's risks to it. And the big risk there is that, uh, for instance, if you pay on a per acre basis and you're the cattleman, um, you have a huge incentive to make the most use you can out of that forage. So, Unless you explicitly detail out, you know, how long you're allowed to graze or when you have to terminate grazing based off of, for instance, the amount of uh, residue or amount of cover out there um, or the fact that, you know, you need them off by a certain date uh, so you can plant. I would say that one often leads to the most disagreements unless we go ahead and get those things kind of explicitly written out. The other part of that is, depending on when the agreement is made, 
there may be some expectations about the amount of grazing that will be available. And what I mean by that is, of course, if if I make this agreement in the summer and say that somebody's going to plant, let's just say they're going to plant oats and um, after they harvest uh, corn silage, okay? Well, if they get the corn silage off uh, early enough, then that works out really well. Uh, so September 1 for us, if we get our corn silage off by September 1 and we plant oats, you know, we maybe get a ton and a half of, of oats. But if we don't get it off until the 15th of September, we get 500 pounds of oats. Um, so huge difference in the amount of grazing available, two weeks. So yeah. as, as a cattleman, if I agreed that I was going to pay, let's just say, uh, 20 or $30 an acre for these oats after corn silage, and the difference in the amount of forage available is that much, you could see how that might be um, something that would cause a little bit of, uh, of concern, right? The cattlemen might not be happy with the situation. So again, being explicit, like you can say, I'm going to pay this much per acre, assuming these things like um, that there's at least, you know, seven or eight inches of forage or however you want to do it. Uh, the next one would be priced on a uh, share of gain basis. And, and that one works really well if you have growing cattle, um, because then all those things about how much forage is available and how far um, you go in terms of using it, both parties are kind of getting um, that balance, if that makes sense, because they're both going to get paid on how the cattle perform. Sure. The challenge with that one, though, is that, um, for instance, if you're the farmer, it'll depend a lot on the type of cattle. Um, you know, if you have really lightweight cattle, they may not gain quite as well um, as say like a 700 pound calf might gain really well on that cover crop. The weighing conditions will have huge impacts, right? So if I weigh them on and they're really full and I weigh them off and they're not very full, um, then the rate of gain won't look as good. So again, drafting out what the weighing conditions are going to look like and, and what type of animal it's going to be will be extremely important um, for that to, to make everybody happy, right? You just, it's not that anybody's trying to um, really trying to get one over on the other person. It's just that everybody kind of has their expectations in the back of their mind. And if they don't explicitly tell each other that, then there can be some, basically some expectations that aren't met. The last one, um, which honestly is probably one of the ones that uh, I like fairly well, and that is priced on a per head per month or, or per grazing day basis. And the reason I like that is because, for instance, if the, if the farmer wants you off of the field and you haven't fully utilized um, the forage, then the farmer doesn't get as much money, right? But he gets, he or she gets that advantage of being able to dictate what they think is best for the land. And uh -huh. so the cattleman has agreed, I'm, you know, I'm going to pay this much per day. And so they don't feel bad that they didn't get more days per se. Now that's not completely true because if I have to haul cattle a long distance um, and I only get two weeks of grazing, uh, as a cattleman, that means that my price per head per day or my cost per head per day actually went up as a lot, right? The longer mm -hmm. I go, the better. Yeah. 
So again, kind of having some ground rules, like when's the grazing start date? How long are the cattle allowed to graze? Um, even discussing what the appropriate stocking rate might be. If I'm a cattleman and it's on a per day basis and I have to haul uh, a distance, I might think about, you know, I'm only going to do one truckload and they're going to be there longer. And that works fine as long as um, the farmer is in agreement that they can stay that long. Um, who makes the call when the cattle are removed? You should probably lay that out. So does the farmer have the ability to make that call? Um, how far in advance does the cattle owner need to be notified that the cattle need to be removed, right? Mm -hmm. So do you give them a two-week grace period, right? I think, you know, I look at this field and I'm like, I think you need to go and they got two weeks to make that happen. Um, what happens if you have high soil moisture? Do, they, do the cattle have to be removed to a sacrifice area, for instance? Um, who's responsible for moving those cattle? Um, what's the compensation from that standpoint, if, if that's going to happen, uh, from the stand, other things to think through is just making sure everybody knows who's responsible for the fencing almost always, unless it's, um, a situation where they're going to provide full, full cattle care. You know, usually the cattleman takes care of that, but again, laying that out, who's going to be responsible for checking the waterers, um, are there going to be windbreaks present? Again, who's responsible? Same thing for mineral. And then probably one of the ones that can come up uh, is really about what happens if there happens to be heavy snow or a blizzard in the winter and the cattle need another source of feed. If, if it's not close to that cattle person's home place, you know, they need to have uh, an option. And sometimes uh, what they do is you know, the cattlemen will bring down some bales of hay and set them, you know, outside the field. And then, you know, that crop producer might agree um, that if if the situation calls for it, they'll take a tractor and pull it out there for them. Sure. Um, but, but again, those types of things, figuring out how you're going to do that, because if I live 30 miles away and we get a blizzard, I may not be able to get there to feed the cattle. Right. On the flip side, um, sometimes the agreement is the cattleman's responsible for all of it. And then in that case, a lot of times, you know, they're watching the weather and they try to get out there ahead of time and maybe uh, preemptively supplement. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of details that really need to be thought through in advance. Um, where can our listeners go for more information about uh, grazing partnerships fencing, financial benefits, kind of all the different topics we've discussed today. Yeah, so we have a, a web page and it's beef.unl.edu and then backslash cropland. And it does have a lot of information there about uh, the use of cover crops for forage, including uh, rental agreements uh, for cover crop grazing. Uh, we have a document that just kind of outlines all the questions you should be asking and all the things you should be considering. Great. Well, um, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Mary, and sharing this great information. Once again, I want to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O dot com. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.